Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in for another week of the Square One podcast series. This week we talked to Sid Powell and Kerman Coley about all things DeFi. So I recently joined uh, Sid's project, Maple Finance, as a product manager. And as I was discussing and describing, you know, what the podcast series was about, he suggested that we both, we get on a call with um, himself as well as Kerman, who uh, uh, is also an Australian DeFi entrepreneur, uh, and and both Sid and Kerman have, have sort of frequent syncs and calls, brainstorming and, and bouncing ideas around about this new, really exciting space. Um, and it was good to get them both in the same room and, and sort of have a discussion. Uh, it's relatively unique to to have, I don't know, I, I guess like multiple people um, talking about this space with such deep context. You know, there's only so many people in the world that have that context. Um, and so anyway, we have, a, we have a pretty lively discussion about all things DeFi and decentralized finance, what that means to us and what future implications that holds, both positive and potentially negative. So without further, further ado, uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, hey, everybody. What's up? Welcome to another episode of the Square One podcast. Uh, here I have Sid Powell and Kerman uh, Cole. Coley. <laughs> Coley? Oh, man. I do this every time. I literally it just talked about this. Coley. <laughs> literally, I just asked. Oh, wow. Anyway. Anyway. You're good. Uh, Kerman Coley, glad to have you both here, and and thanks for, for joining me. Um, I, um, yeah, I'm excited to kind of dig into, into, uh, all things sort of DeFi and also crypto, uh, with both of you. I, I, um, so, you know, Sid, um, we, we know each other because we work together and, uh, we're, we're both part of Maple Finance, which I'm really excited about and recently joined. And, uh, Kerman, I know that you're a, another Australian crypto entrepreneur, <laughs> um, building a, uh, a stable coin system, I'm, I'm pretty sure is what Arkex is. Um, but yeah, would you both want to just like begin with uh, some quick backgrounds? Yeah, sure. I might, I might pass over to, uh, to come and to, uh, to kick that one off. All right. Yeah. So let's see, I, in my previous life was a mobile developer. Um, I started making apps at a fairly young ish age. And uh, kind of, I released this one app when uh, I was early on in my career and it was like, it got 50 downloads in the first day. And I said, all right, I should probably spend some more time like working on this. And fast forward five years, I got it to a point where I got about half a million downloads a year organically uh, and hit about a hundred thousand students using it every month. And it was just like this experience of like, here's how you make something nice that is engineered well with the nice design marketed all the growth loops and the pricing marketing models. So, uh, that was great. And then 28 towards I was engineered a couple of companies, 2018 did one of the first DeFi startups at the time It was called ADEX. It was an on-chain recurring payments protocol. Uh, so this is, I was basically there as DeFi was like this new meme. So DeFi was uh, compromised of DYDX. Uh, sorry, no. Yeah, DYDX, Set, Dharma, and Wallet Connect. They're the initial DeFi I founding fathers. 
And uh, then kind of went out to San Francisco um, in September that year, and there was the first ever DeFi meetup, um, which was absolutely just insane looking back, uh, being at that place at that time. So anyway, 8X uh, didn't really work out after like one and a half years. So worked at Gods Unchained and Zora before starting Arc. So uh, I've worked in quite a lot of areas of the industry, met quite a lot of people. And throughout that time, I've also been writing about as the industry's been progressing through my newsletter called DeFi Weekly, which I also make YouTube videos for to explain complex topics. And the whole idea is like being an engineer uh, who I think can communicate somewhat okay. Uh, I can help break down topics that are hard to understand for normal people because that's something I used to struggle with coming into the industry. So uh, that's my background. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, so my background, uh, my background, not quite as exciting, but I came from traditional finance space. So I used to work in banking doing like mortgage asset-backed securities. So, you know, in institutional banking, uh, helping, you know, helping lending companies to, to grow basically. And so I did that for a while and then I got, you know, I could, I could see the writing on the wall that I was going to be doing the same thing for, for a number of years. And so I decided that I actually wanted to be more on the builder side. So I went and joined a company that needed the solution we were providing. So I joined a commercial lending fintech uh, that was growing pretty fast uh, to set up their own bond funding program so that they could expand. And it was in doing that that I kind of encountered the, the pain points of doing that in traditional finance, fees, third parties. And I started to learn more about Ethereum and, and think about, you know, is there a way we could make programmable bonds or programmable debt uh, using smart contracts? And so that was the initial idea with Maple. And uh, anyway, that was that was back in mid 2018. And so then I started grinding away at it for 2019. Wrote a white paper. Then fast forward to last year, DeFi started to take off, and then I was able to uh, you know to to transition and and go to work on Maple full time and you know build out the team and add, add uh, fantastic people like yourself, JD. Mm -hmm. Epic. That's that's awesome, and no, I, I mean you know e even if even if it's not as exciting from a software developer perspective, I think Sid, like the thing that I I find to be unique, uh, you know, in your background is that you're a non-technical founder in a space that is riddled with just like nerd founders. That's pretty much what the main that's the norm. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and so to to be able to wedge yourself in there, I mean, you're a bit of a unicorn for that reason. You know, I think it's cool. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is it, it it is funny. Like you, you did, I did get a lot of pushback early on from like conversations with with investors and and VCs that I didn't have the kind of the technical background to be doing this. But right. I think what you get when 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 you don't have a technical background and maybe you come from more of a let's say finance or other background, uh, operational expertise and just like managing teams and coordinating people is uh is such an underrated skill for just getting shit done like do you come out of meetings with action items like do you know how to follow people up do you know where to go to try and find the solutions for things like those aren't technical skills right mm -hmm. no absolutely it's the coordination and that's the it's definitely something that you know can can often lack in a in a decentralized like global little ecosystem of people coordinating via telegram and discord you know yeah <laughs> and like and like and like ad hoc zoom calls <laughs> yeah yeah but i i, I take it as well. a i take it as a, a mark of the like how much the space is maturing now that you're getting more people who have a non-technical background coming in and trying to uh trying to find jobs or start projects in the space 
like uh, I'm definitely seeing more founders that I'm talking to who are non-technical themselves and maybe they had a great idea and they were in the financial you know financial services industry and they're now able to pull together a team of technical people to hire for the skills they lack um, but they bring a kind of product vision um, that is maybe a little bit more sophisticated because they've, no, they've spent that time in IB uh, and uh, you know like in, in Maple, for example, we, we've now hired more non-technical roles. You've got marketing, you've got operations management, you've got HR and recruiting. So yeah, I, I think it's awesome that the space has evolved to the point where we can have non-technical people entering. You know? Yeah, no, I, t I totally agree. And it's fun to, to see that um, continue to become more robust and for, for you know, the space to mature in a lot of ways and take a lot of the lessons learned from corporate, you know, uh, institutions and, and actually apply them to create more efficient organizational structures, which, you know, uh, uh, is, is relatively necessary in order to, to ship things in, in general. Um, but, um, I would like to kind of dig into a few, uh, specific topics or, or I guess like broader topics and kind of get your all's opinion and sentiment of, of, um, specifically decentralized finance. So this is something I haven't yet really delved into, uh, to, yeah. to much extent on the pod. I think thus far it's been literally, we've talked about the history of money, where money came from, uh, with Andy Tudhope. I don't know if y'all are familiar with him, but he's like a bit of a philosopher, uh, nomadic, you know, crypto folk who, you know, there are many, um, but he's a particularly, uh, insightful one with wise one. And, um, and then also I've talked to a few people who have like been developers, like building DAOs. Um, but we haven't really talked about DeFi specifically. And I guess like, I'd love to just start with an overview of like, what do you all, you know, what is decentralized finance and why is that, uh, where is its place within the, the blockchain ecosystem today? Of course. Sid, do you want to go or? Um, Carmen, you want to go ahead actually? Or yeah, Sid, are you feeling? Yeah, anyway. I, I, I'm, I'm happy to go first. I right, think right. what 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 most excites me about DeFi is it's the fact that it's globalized in nature. So we, we can now apply scale to capital formation. And and I always approach DeFi from the perspective of I think about it as capital formation and capital flows around the world. Um and and that that comes from like I've I've always had an interest in history and how institutions and organizations work. And so they're powerfully impacted by the availability of capital, you know, ultimately capital funds, innovation, capital funds, social development, capital funds, growth. And so I've always thought of it more at DeFi as kind of a, a macro level um, uh, in, in the, the framing of, of capital flows rather than, you know, sort of the next interesting product, uh, which might, you know, maybe be like a set of features, like, a, you know, a self-repaying loan or something. Um, mm. And so the, what I think is really, really important about DeFi is that one, it's global. So you instantly have those kind of scale advantages. Two, it's programmable. And programmability um, solves some of the problems of trust and coordination uh, in that somebody uh, you know, on one side of the world is comfortable putting money in a, a protocol that was developed on the other side of the world because they can see how the smart contract code works and uh, you know they can form expectations of, of what's going to happen because they can just verify it in the GitHub repo. So I think that programmability helps uh, facilitate the movement of capital around the world and where it can be directed to where it can do the most good. So um, the lens that I look at DeFi through is it's a new um, it's a new set of infrastructure where 
innovators can build, uh, you know, can can build the future of financial products. And you have people who are doing fantastic things in in finance and technology who can then access capital through this system, uh, and that capital can then, you know, progress, uh, you know, progress development uh, in, in in a much larger way. You know, energy companies, infrastructure. Um, yeah, you know, things broader than just financial engineering. Indeed, yeah. I'll add to that that the way I think about DeFi is that, like, it's essentially, like, financial services available to anyone everywhere on the planet. And, like, when we think about high-level, the main buckets, you've got trading, uh, leverage, or, like, then you've got lending and asset management. And, like, traditionally, you have, like, these very large firms in each country all around the world kind of doing the same thing in an opaque, slow, discriminatory, corrupt way. And really, we can say, actually, let's just cut all that and replace a 2,000-person bank with 2,000 lines of code. And like that's mm. the way that I love to think about DeFi, that we can basically replace like thousands of bankers with like a few engineers. And it's like, this is the future that we should be living in rather than like a corrupt kind of system where if you steal a billion dollars, it's like a fault of the system. But if you steal a million dollars, you're a criminal. So uh, I think DeFi is more of like, I like to view it as more of like a rebellion on the system. Whenever I see a massive bank building, I just can't help think about to myself that you guys are going to be replaced by like just lines of code <laughs> top to bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 I don't I don't feel that bad about that as a, uh, as a as a reformed banker, but I like just building on that. Like I think what you've seen is that I would say in 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 finance we're kind of at almost like the guild stage. If you look back historically, where you used to have all these kind of crafts and trades and professions, but they were they were really controlled by guilds, and it made them hugely hugely inefficient. And that's kind of where banking and finance is at the moment. And DeFi is a way to introduce competition and efficiency back there. You know, the, the best protocols will win. The best, the most nimble, most agile teams will win, and those that best serve uh, the customers' needs. Right. Mm, exactly. No, absolutely. That's. I mean, I think that's really like both. You know, both both sentiments here make a ton of sense to me. And I think the thing that is hard. To some extent, and and the thing that I find most valuable about DeFi is it's kind of like the foundational layer of like what is to come with Ethereum and blockchain and cryptocurrency, etc. Like to me, it's like mm. you really need that before we get to a uh, full like smart city infrastructure and tokenized real estate and and everything else needs this like financial layer, which is actually it's it's funny because I my initial feeling about DeFi was like it wasn't as interesting to me as like DAOs, like, mm. like frankly. It was just like, to me, the thing that was most interesting about these like global coordination systems was coordinating humans, right? And and like and like allowing for like this democratic voice, but but realistically, um, that that's also what DeFi, you know, does. And it does so in a, um, and, and you know, I've, I mean, like, I've, I've like, I mean, clearly I'm working, you know, at a DeFi company now, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, I think it's kind of the the first step toward a a more like you know more efficient and and uh, more robust systems you know within yeah. within the ecosystem. I think I think that's interesting. Like, uh, I mean, DAO, DAOs as coordination um, become a lot more interesting when you have things that can coordinate. 
And what DeFi does, and you know, blockchain technology more generally, is it gives them vast control, control over vast resources to coordinate. So you already had coordination mechanisms uh, you know, that were remote across the world, like look at, you know, CSGO tournaments and, and like, you know, World of Warcraft raids and stuff, uh, which are kind of, you know, similar techniques to, you know, running a DAO, but it starts to get a lot more interesting when you have a DAO that has, you know, a $500 million treasury and they need to coordinate that. Like that's where it gets really interesting. Absolutely. And yeah, it's, I think it's feeling that we're reaching a point in, I don't want to take this too off topic, but like where DeFi is now starting to intersect with many other areas such as DAOs and Web3 and identity and reputation and NFTs. And uh, it's like the culmination of many crypto native primitives. But um, and yeah, as Sid said, like capital allocation for DAOs is uh, extremely interesting because these networks start off making a product, but then they essentially become the new institutions. Um, but we'll, we'll, no, we'll totally. talk that there because it, it's going to derail the conversation. I, 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 no, that's fair. No, but I kind of, I kind of like where we're going there because, you know, I mean, so so essentially, like I think, like like you said, like Kerman, the DeFi kind of breaks down into a few simple, or more or less, there's only there's only so much space you can, you know, oh, so many things. The design uh, space is is relatively confined to exchanges, lending you know, and variations of those two things more or less, right? Like within DeFi, like lending being like debt and also like uh, derivatives or futures, right? Yeah, um, and, and yeah, I think yeah. you're right. W would that be right? Like exchanges and lending or yeah, do you all see anything else? Asset management? Asset, asset management. Yeah, yeah, asset okay. management's pretty good one. What would you describe, what is asset man management? Yearn. Yeah, Yearn, D-Hedge. Got it. What was the other one? I mean, you, set you had uh, set, set like, and like enzyme, which maybe. used to be like melon, no, uh, right, but, melon but, but it's effectively yeah. the the pooling of capital to apply it towards earning earning a return. You know, yes. whether it be through yeah. any any number of different asset classes, right? That and that you, makes you know, sense. Venture DAOs as well, as well. Sure, sure. Democratic funding and fund management systems that optimize yield or or optimize yeah your investment your your opportunity there. That makes sense. Okay. Yes. So exchanges, uh, you know, lending and asset management, essentially De that covers derivatives, derivatives, and derivatives, derivatives, well. and derivatives yeah. covers yep. DeFi. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. and, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that like, it's easy for someone to get overwhelmed with all of the concepts within this space, like very quickly, but, but, you know, if you kind of can like confine it to those, it's like, okay, that makes, it makes somewhat, you know, some sense. Right. And then, um, mm. I guess like, I don't know, jumping back to a little bit of what, where you left off, Kerman, like, I'm curious, you know, to some extent, these are, you know, similar patterns of what you see in the traditional world. And mm -hmm. in some ways that feels contradictory to the mission of like blockchain as a, as a movement, right? In, in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. Like the point is to have this revolutionary kind of uh, 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 anti sort of um, hierarchical system or as much mm -hmm. as you can, which I, I kind of believe hierarchy is embedded for a reason and, and is, is mm -hmm. impossible to get away from. If you're, if you think flat hierarchies are great, well, 
try and draw an organization that has one, you know? Um, we, we, um, we don't believe in titles. <laughs> that's right, yeah, we don't believe in titles. That's right, those kinds of things. It's like, I understand that to an extent. And I, I used to be that, like, of that sentiment in some ways, but I've, I've learned some things, I guess. Um, but I guess, like, to, to bring it back, like, um, you know, to what extent um, should we be modeling ourselves after traditional finance versus um, innovating and sort of creating a new like playing ground and is it bad or, or something to model after traditional financial systems? You know what I mean? <laughs> so this is something I think about like before I go to bed. <laughs> um, it, <laughs> That's great. Um, it's like, you know, when uh, Mark Zuckerberg was creating Facebook, he's like, Hey, here's a way for me to keep tabs on people and for other people to keep tabs on other people. And it's like, Oh, this is a cute tool. And like fast yeah. forward 20 years, it's basically the demise of political systems. And like with DeFi, one trend that we're going to start seeing more. So like crypto is like these set of fundamental ideals where it's like, don't trust anyone because everyone is bad. And the only thing you should trust is code and people are bad. Like it's kind of like this general sentiment, right? Like, and DeFi has started off in that direction that like people are bad everything should be trust minimized decentralized etc but at some point you start running into limitations and like what people are trying to say is actually let's kind of put a bit of these ideals on the side so we can introduce greater efficiencies in the system because at the end of the day we care about making money more than we care about ideals and like what we're seeing right now in DeFi, the next wave is an ideological war between like here's the ethos of crypto and like here's how to make more money and like Ethereum DeFi versus Binance Smart Chain DeFi is the perfect example of this, right? It's like, just, I want to make money. I want to yield farm and I don't want to pay much. I don't care if like CZ is all the validators in the network, just like sign me up for the money. And like, I think we're going more in this direction of like, we're trading off decentralization for uh, efficiency. And I expect that trend to carry over, but like, when I think from like a decades perspective, like, okay, we start off as an industry like, oh, like here's fun permissionless finance for everyone. But really, is there a probability that in 20 years from now, we kind of end up in a Facebook situation where we now need a new wave of technology to disrupt the previous wave because of the problems that we created? And hmm. I don't have any answers for it yet, but, but that, that's, uh, that's something that I think is worth thinking about. I think that's, 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 I mean, I think that's critically important and it's impossible to say, right? Like to what extent, this is something that I've, you know, like to what extent can you even prevent um, a Facebook type, you know, dystopic scenario? I think in some ways mm. um, all technology comes with kind of positive and negative, you know, implications and it, it's not up to the creator to decide those to some extent. <laughs> of the technology you know it's it's like it is a bit of a consequence of the the behavior of that technology and the mass population um mm -hmm. i don't know sid, sid do you, what, what do you think do you have, do you have thoughts i think you know it, it, like if, if if the question is to to what extent should DeFi be innovating away from traditional finance uh and you know traditional financial institutions um like it, it, it's kind of the same. It's kind of the same evolution that, let's say, if you, if you apply the lens of, of retail, right? You had uh, and initially sort of supermarkets um, like 
you know, A and P, then you had Walmart created the big box framework. And then that was a new paradigm of kind of retail. And then Amazon shifted that again with a new distribution layer, which was online. And so the, the banks have had this sort of banks and other financial institutions have had this kind of legacy distribution layer. Um, and now it's actually a new kind of paradigm and in infrastructure, which is blockchain, which enables us to bring kind of new models to it. And so there, there are kind of new conventions that are going to emerge that are, you know, built off the implicit properties of, you know, blockchain, where you can have trustlessness. It is inherently global. And then, you know, uh, you can program features into financial products. Um, and so I think, like, I, I, I think that those characteristics of, of the infrastructure that we're all using, which is, you know, Ethereum uh, and, and other blockchains, mean that, uh, like mean that we would be foolish to just try and slavishly recreate uh, the old financial institutions. We have to like we have to lean into uh, what we can do with those new features and those new tools. Um, and so I think absolutely we should be innovating. It's going to have some characteristics of the old system uh, because there are certain primitives that are going to persist. Uh, but by and large, you know, we we should look to be as innovative as as possible. You know, it should look. Uh, as different from traditional finance as e-commerce does from, you know, going going to a store. Brick and mortar. Yeah, I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, and and um, yeah, it, it, I, I do see it, you know, I mean, I'll, I know we all see this as like an evolutionary layer of sort of asset management and glo global, global asset management, global digital asset management, right? And value transfer. Um, and it's it's the evolution of currency and, and the way that we, mm. you know, essentially share trust as humans, right? Mm. And, a, and we're able to do it now on a scale that um, supersede or transcends more um, mm. any any specific political or, or governance uh, government uh, that's been established previously, right? It's like a, it's in some ways that, that I think that's very profound, but it, I also think that, you know, there's a lot of like room for uh, misinformation, right? Like that's the other, that's the, that's the, like the negative side of it is it's yeah. like, you have this like profound, like opportunity to create this global infrastructure and it's forkable. And anyone can also like have that same opportunity to act like they're creating a, a similar infrastructure. Um, yeah. um, yeah, I, I think I, like, yeah, I think ahead. just, just riffing on that. I think one of, one of the important differences is, um, how how people approach kind of people of Gen Z uh, and millennials approach the idea of financial freedom. So um, the like the use of DeFi protocols is pretty implicitly tied now to the ownership of DeFi protocols. Like you're generally going to use like own the tokens of the ones that you use the most, and that's you know you have ownership of uh, financial assets, I guess. Uh, and this, I think this generation looks at the boomers and, and can see that most of the wealth transfer was through the mechanism of property, like inflation mm. of property prices. Whereas there's this new kind of secular shift that all of us who use DeFi are bought into that the new sort of secular transfer of wealth is going to be, um, you know, the, the expansion of, of the value of crypto assets. And so we're all both participating and owning parts of parts of these, um, uh, you know, parts of these protocols. And so like a much, much higher degree of financial literacy and also interest in owning financial assets rather than real assets like homes and cars and things is going to be characteristic of, uh, of you know, this new generation, I think. 
absolutely. Yeah, I like that. I, th I think that uh, that that makes sense. Um, or and you, and you mean that they'll be owning more digital like financial assets rather than homes or cars? Yeah, well, it's like if if financially savvy people before wanted to you know own a own a house and like save up for a house and then have like a kind of stock portfolio that maybe buy a nice car. Now mm. what they want is they want ownership of protocols that are going to be much more valuable in future and Literally, you'd rather yeah. you'd rather rent a house because it's <clears> it, it's it's a, a, a financial asset yeah it's 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 you want to be capital light on you know rent a house it, rent a car yeah. illiquid assets are, are less less uh appealing right in, in yeah. a market that has highly volatile liquid assets yeah 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 but, mo mo mobile capital is uh you know mobile capital commands a premium mm. Yeah, and the sophistication of how you can use these tools to like finance your own portfolio is really interesting. So like the traditional boomer play is like get enough money for your first down payment for your first home, then hope that it gets in value, then borrow money into that to buy your next property and play the loop. Our version is like start off with a small stack of crypto, wait for it to like effectively 10x then borrow against it and go into riskier stuff hope the riskier stuff appreciates borrow against that to buy more stuff and it's like sweet like this just happens like in a few clicks and like you've got the same kind of sophistication is like literally the most powerful institutions in the world all the way like just in a few interesting interfaces like get some token earn yield on it while the token's earning yield borrow against it to offset your borrowing costs while keeping the capital appreciation and then using the debt to do something else. It's just like, mm. this is like the kind of stuff that only the most elite hedge fund managers have access to. And I was like, yeah, just go into like urine cream and this and you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. Cause it's like, I mean, we financial engineering as kind of a profession began, you know, before all of us were born, um, you know, who, who are participating in the crypto space now. So we're kind of, you know, we're, we're, we're natively comfortable with, with the idea of like financial engineering and sort of complex financial products. Um, but uh, that kind of boomer paradigm of save up and own a house made sense when you had people who were in jobs that would persist for 20 plus years. Whereas now the life cycle of the average job is much, much shorter. So it makes more sense to, to, to actually build, your, build the bedrock of your financial security on liquid assets uh, that are global by nature, right? Rather than uh, a big 30 year mortgage. Right, I know, yeah. It's, it's wild. Yeah, and the I always like to think about like, there's no free lunch in life, right? And it's like, where does the information asymmetry lie here? And the mm. fact that you know about this industry and like how the intersection of these two is happening, that's a much more specialized piece of knowledge compared to like, I'm gonna save up and buy a house and wait and pray that it doubles in five years. Like there is a lot less sophistication in that thought process than like trying to navigate your DeFi portfolios. I would assume that the rewards accrue appropriately. <laughs> It's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's a great, that's a really great point. The amount that, and that's really, although it is open to everyone, right? Like it's open to anyone with the internet access, DeFi. Uh, the, the barrier to entry is that like, so that, that sophistication, that learning curve to actually feel comfortable. Okay. Here's my new bank account. <laughs> yeah. Know? Here's like 
where I'm going to place most of my bet <laughs> yeah, on yeah. my future worth, right? <laughs> like, yeah. And, and the people that are doing that, I mean, um, yeah, you have to have like a high level of risk to, to kind of be able to like do that. And also like curiosity and like interest. Like it, I think most people are just like, really deeply fascinated by the technology that's being built here and the potential implications of it. And, and that's kind of, to me, what really drives both innovation on the, on the UX and the, and the feature front, but also on the, um, on like the wealth creation and the people who are, who are getting involved. I mean, it, it's really crazy. I mean, I, I was, no, I was looking at stats um, on this bull run and mm. it's been right. We've, 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 hit everyone's hit all-time highs right like or surpassed like 2x'd it mm. and um i'm looking at daus uh or daily active wallets in DeFi, and it's still a hundred thousand dau and i'm like mm. wait. <laughs> wait 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 so all of that wealth has been pretty much cornered by coinbase and binance and nobody mm. has learned about decentralized finance yet like no one has learned about this yet no one who's just entered mm. the space. So this is just the same people that learned about it in 2017 and participated in the bear market. Like the bear market DAU was also 100,000 people, right? 100,000 yeah. unique wallets mm. based on based on DAP radar and state of the DAPs. And so it's just like, mm. that's the thing that's quite mind boggling to me is that, okay, people are onboarding into crypto, but they're not yet in DeFi. Mm. And like participating in these rewards, like they're, they're, they'd rather just continue to earn on Coinbase or uh, there's another, there's another like custodial, you know, whatever custodial option there is that's easiest, um, yeah. you know, similar to like finance, like, like you were distract, describing Kerman. Um, and so that, you know, to me, that's like, it's kind of like this bridge or this like middle path between that full decentralized yeah. idealist yeah. Um, and like the corporate, you know, yeah. hierarchical like system that we're a part of today, right? It's like this weird transitionary state. And the, yeah, those, exactly. those people are, are using products like crypto.com, you know, in, in, instead of setting up MetaMask and going and yield farming themselves, they're, you know, they're earning a much lower rate, uh, you know, through the native uh, deposits in the, in those apps. I would be interested though, like, cause I think I heard a stat this morning about MetaMask having now five, like surpassed 5 million monthly active users. So I would be interested if we just zoomed out uh, on the, the granularity of, of the usage um how much that has expanded from where it was maybe a year or two ago because you might have people who are sort of using it like infrequently maybe they've done a little bit of yield farming mm -hmm. um uh yeah like wh whether that uh subset has expanded a lot i suspect it probably has mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah i would imagine the frequency of use and the and the um yeah like the the frequency of use surely is picked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it hasn't mm -hmm. in this bowl, like I, I would be surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you go, Cal. Go for it. Nah, it's cool. I was, I was gonna say, um, I'm, I'm interested in in where kind of DeFi fits in, you know, the the kind of the secular trends that people point out in uh you know sort of the hollowing out of the middle class in sort of more developed economies like whether it actually isn't going to be an accelerating factor in that it promotes sort of outsized returns if people have a high degree of sophistication um and it's kind of you know global in nature so you're, you're no longer kind of competing with somebody uh in your own state or city uh for wealth you're competing now with 
everyone around the globe. Like you, you're part of the then of not. I don't yeah. want to say glo global casino. <laughs> right. It's I don't know the way I like to think about that is that I don't think that will be such a problem. And the reason why I say that is because like I now view crypto as like a hydro. And like the Hydra is start off with like Bitcoin as the first head, Ethereum is the second head, and DeFi is the third head. And like each head becomes more and more powerful and bigger. And like kind of you can bring like the thing which I think has been very deeply fascinating to me being in DeFi is that the more of a zero sum DeFi protocol you are, the less returns you make in general. But the more positive sum you are, the more collaborative the more you expand. And I think that's something that I personally don't think I really, I didn't properly understand positive sum games until I actually like got deep into DeFi and I actually saw firsthand how like the power of collaboration usually outweighs like kind of this siloed zero sum approach. Mm. Like the thing is most normal people don't realize that because I mean, I can relate to that. And as like we have more heads of the crypto hydro grow, there's more flavors that bring you down to the crypto rabbit hole, right? Like let's say the, the new like hydro I see is like this equity um, crypto hydro where it's like, you've got Coinbase IPO money. Then you're going to have, I think um, who's in Paxos just raised a $2.4 billion valuation. Yeah. And you've got these, like all these OG uh, crypto companies. So like you get your traditional like private equity money funneling through there you have your artists and like young people coming in through nfts so crypto now has like a flavor for each and every kind of person and when they yeah. all come into the rabbit hole there's now a shared set of principles and beliefs where when you learn how to idealize those you like become a crypto native and that's how you start thriving and part of those like crypto native principles is like open source positive some um, game thinking and that yeah. i think is when, when you think about that wealth transference, I actually think like, actually when you come to the new paradigm, it works very differently to how you think it works. Cause we're actually not gonna use like stable coins as a medium of exchange in the future. It's just gonna be a barter system. And I mean, uh, one book that I'd recommend for this is The Sovereign Individual. Um, yes. They kind of talk about how there's a world in which we'll be living like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, plus, plus, plus one on that. Sovereign Individual, definitely like one of my favorite books. Indeed, that's so good. It's, we're, I what think does it we're describe? But, but I think um, just on, on, on what Kerman was saying, the, um, yeah, like, like, I think that's one of the biggest observations I've had is that everyone you talk to in the crypto space has an inherent win-win mentality instead of this kind of zero sum, your profit is my loss uh, and, you know, mercantilist approach to uh you know to 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 partnerships and to doing business and um i think why why i find that super interesting is 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 it kind of in it gets towards what peter Thiel talks about in zero to one which is you don't want to disrupt the pie instead what you want to do is is enlarge the market enlarge the pie so it's a bigger opportunity set for everyone and i think that's what all of the composability within DeFi, you know like two two pro two protocols uh, that are composable with each other are greater than the sum of the parts. And that's that's one of the inherently exciting things about DeFi. Exactly. It's um, 
the DeFi actually isn't decentralized finance. It's more so permissionless finance where like the APIs mm. are there and you can string them however you want. I think like it's DeFi is just like a bit of a meme, but uh, what it really enables is those like money Legos to be like assembled in the most craziest ways possible. Um, and like, like the kind of Lego blocks is like only increasing as time goes along. Now you've got like NFTs as Lego pieces, social mm -hmm. tokens, and um, it's getting really wacky really quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's um, it's so too. Can we like dig into a little bit? Like why why is Ethereum? Why I mean like to me Ethereum is DeFi. Is there I don't know. Do you all see a chance of other chains kind of adopting? Um, DeFi in the same to the same extent or or is ethereum kind of does it have it locked in kind of right i mean the way i like to think of this like is a high level principle is that like each crypto network whether it's like a base layer protocol a DeFi token a dao is that like each crypto network achieves its alpha use case and once it achieves that alpha use case there's like no more growth for other use cases and I think like that's kind of how nature works. Like even as human beings, we have like a purpose in life and we fill that purpose, but we can't achieve all the purposes. Like we can't achieve everything there is to do in the world. So similarly, like I think crypto networks, like a lot of them tend to, I think people don't like the idea that like, ah, oh, but this thing won't be everything. And like Bitcoin is a perfect example. It's the purpose is to be hard money, which is uncensorable and can be used as digital gold. And that's fine. Like that's all it needs to be. Ethereum is basically high value DeFi boomer chain. Like that's what it will be. And it's okay if it's that. And then like Solana, Binance Smart Chain, Polkadot, they'll all have different communities and different use cases. And that should be celebrated. Not really like something that's looked on upon negatively because it goes back to that like zero sum kind of thinking. Whereas like positive sum says that like actually if everyone can capture their own piece of the DeFi market, then DeFi as a whole becomes more bigger and therefore everyone wins. Well, and that's funny. Well, that's, I mean, I think that's a really great, I like that insight, but I also want to bring back like that point earlier about um, how, uh, you know, the, the disparity or the uh, divergence from an idealist adoption versus a money monetary adoption. And mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, even if Binance Smart Chain does have its right, you know, adopters, even though it's not, uh, it's not sort of on the idealistic side of things because it's a very centralized validation system, um, you know, I guess like that can still be a positive sum. Uh, there, there's a positive sum aspect to that. I guess like then, then the question more or less is, and probably no one here has a strong idea, but maybe, maybe you do. The question then is like. To what extent do those other chains that have maybe smaller communities, but maybe have convenient options, um, survive or die compared to the longevity of like a more idealistic solution or like what are the advantages there? I think it just comes out to treasury management and can you mm. stay in the game long enough? Lindy, Lindy effect. I think, That's it. Uh, I, I think the, the, the challenge a lot of the other chains face is that uh, they're trying to do, they're trying to be all things to all people. So they've said DeFi, like Ethereum has found product market fit with, with DeFi. Um, and so we're going to go and we're going to try and 
like get some really cool DeFi projects to come on here as well. Instead, maybe they should take either one of two tactics. They should look at like kind of what is the next thing other than DeFi. Uh, you know, NFTs seem to have landed on the Ethereum chain or, you know, like the center of gravity is definitely on Ethereum for NFTs. Uh, but maybe the next thing after that could be on a different chain. And then what that will do is it will create a, a really core, um, highly engaged group of users. And then maybe you bridge between that chain and Ethereum. And because ultimately what, what, uh, you know, cross chain or, or alternative chain solutions need is they need developers building there. They need capital flowing in there. And it, it's really having interesting projects uh, that, that attracts both of those. And so just getting people to set up the V2 of themselves on a different chain, like a DeFi project to do that is not really an effective way of doing that. Instead, you need to kind of find something unique that will get people to, uh, you know, to want to learn to develop on your chain uh, or capital people to want to put capital there. Mm. That's interesting. It, it's, it, it's like everybody is trying to copy like the, the PC built by Apple or something. Right. <clears throat> and, but everyone knows where, you know, where Apple is sort of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so like, why would you go to a different chain for <clears throat> it? it? Yeah. And I think, and I guess like most of the liquidity today too, is essentially a similar user base that's been around for, for ages. So they know where to continue to park their liquidity and what kind of security measures there are and who you're, you know, who are you ultimately paying? Are you paying ETH miners or are you paying um, CZ or are you paying, you know, uh, yeah. whoever else, like, you know, Brock Pierce or, or, or uh, you know what I mean? Depending on your chain, right? Are you participating? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is, it, it is a really interesting problem though as, as to like, how they uh how, how do you approach it like if you're trying to do it do you do you go and find the product uh that can be on your chain first and use that to attract people or do you really like pump your chain kind of like you know bsc uh and then use that as a way to then attract people to like come and come and build on your chain like, mm. you know come, pump the pump the token yeah and I, and you know all of those strategies are emergent right the playbook is being written at the same time and i think the thing that's strongest to me, the thing that I find to be valuable um, is is really about the collective mindshare that's growing and that mm. compounding in every in every ecosystem. And I really just don't see an ecosystem that has done or you know that just has that spark. That's a it's kind of irreplicable. Mm. It doesn't matter your tech tech. Yeah. Your tech isn't about you know that it's about the human capital that you've acquired to literally smash heads together. And become obsessed with the tech that you built, you know? yeah. <laughs> Which is like really to me what Vitalik inspired in a way that um, I think is going to be the hardest to replicate um, yeah. from any other chain. Yeah, I, I think that's right. It's the like the competitive advantage is not so much a technical moat, uh, which everybody thinks. It's really the human capital that's embedded in it. Like people have invested the time to learn how to code in Solidity. People have. Uh, you know, in, invest in the mindshare and in, in getting up to speed with how to use MetaMask and and like, you know, what the different uh, kind of key primitives on on DeFi are, and that's really hard to replicate elsewhere. And I think that I think that's kind of the the, the future of DeFi is, you know, m protocols that involve more human capital. Uh, you know, we're, mm. we are trying to do this with Maple. I've seen other other new projects uh, trying to do it, but you know, we we have the role of the the pool delegate, where they're effectively monetizing expertise, right? And so that's that's human capital. That's not technical capital. 
Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, um, awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. What, what, what do you guys, what do you guys think? Any, Kerman, can we talk about ArcX for, for just a moment, just to hear what, what the, uh, sure. how, how, yeah, how, how does ArcX work? Yeah, for sure. So I think um, there, we've got like a new kind of release coming out that uh, I can't get too much into details, but I'd love to share like a bit about the thought process around um, Arc. Basically, it started off a year ago when thinking about like MakerDAO. MakerDAO seems like a borrowing machine on the outset where you say, uh, I give it some collateral and I get some dollars. But fundamentally what it is is a central bank that issues its own digital native internet currency and the possibilities of what you can do when you issue your own currency or like that is such a large design space um and effectively over the past few months uh we've been iterating towards essentially creating uh, a new kind of stable coin that incorporates identity in a way that hasn't really been done before and hmm. uh <laughs> i like the full specs are coming out later on but um the if there's like one alpha leak i'd love to give is that like there's a whole new primitive in class of DeFi that's about to explode and be explored and it's just a matter of when not if uh for that to happen epic so 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 is that like identity is that is that kind of part of the key there just curious yeah exactly it's on-chain identity mm -hmm. is more valuable than people realize i completely understand that that makes a ton of sense and yeah i think that's something that's easily misunderstood or or miss uh, just overlooked by people who are just learning about the spaces it's all about the finances and things but really the thing that bitcoin has done is verified identity that's that's the thing that blockchain allows for. It's verified identity and ownership and 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 you know transactions. That's what a ledger gives you, which is um, yeah. I that makes a lot of yeah. I like I like that perspective. I, I think like it makes a lot of sense that identity. Yeah, you know, you feel like identity might be the next you know thing that that, that really explodes in the space. Basically, like so to say, um, anonymous neutrality is going to become really big like on-chain nightclubs will be a thing right effectively right. so yeah uh we're we're going into a new direction in the future um and it's gonna be fun unveiling that <laughs> that's pretty fun i like that a lot <laughs> so yeah um, sorry that wasn't like super, super detailed exciting. but uh, <laughs> no no i think that's Thank fun you. i'm like i'm like imagining people coming into like a door and you scan your 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 wallet and it's just a bit pseudonymous and you're like i mean it's my wallet and then they're just like oh you know you've been a part of like da, 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 da. you like held this token for this long and like you, you're in you know and like all of these like, on-chain metrics that's on-chain metrics determine or like, describe your personal incentives you know within the ecosystem so uh, that's exactly. yeah I, I think i mean that's that's how uh yeah that's it, it's a it's an on-chain um description of your behavior you know it's it's which is really powerful <laughs> can't be exactly <laughs> definitely that's cool thank you and um mm -hmm. yeah and sid um well I, I feel like we're gonna get into a, a longer episode uh together on maple um so 
but I don't know, I guess like, yeah, do, do you want to briefly describe Maple and maybe maybe your take on what what you are excited about as far as the future of, of, uh, of DeFi? Yeah. Yeah, um, no, we, we can certainly cover it off uh, later as well, but just to kind of briefly touch on it here. Um, so I think like the, the future of finance for me is definitely being built, uh, being built in crypto. Um, and I think that what, what we believe is, is that we need to support the builders, um, you know, the builders of, of finance and technology, um, who, who are, uh, you know, who, who are in the, in the DeFi space, we support them with access to access to capital. Um, so they can build their vision of the future. And so really what Maple is providing is institutional growth capital. So we recognize that crypto native institutions, the crypto native economy is going to be many times larger than it is now. Uh, but, you know, capital is, is really intrinsic to reaching that growth potential. And so what we do with Maple is that we, we provide a decentralized marketplace for them to access that. So uh, we have pools of capital, which are provided by investors from DeFi, and then uh, institutions can borrow uh, from these pools of capital. And what's different about them is, is that each pool has uh, that, that role I talked about, a delegator who assesses the borrowers and really applies their expertise to further the growth of the protocol. So managing risk uh, and, and approving the loans. Um, and we, we try and we try and do this in a decentralized way where we, you know, allocate risk and align incentives using the Maple token, which underpins the whole participation in the system. Epic. <clears throat> I love it. Um, and yeah, and I think, you know, that's something else that, I mean, we could spend a whole hour on is like token economic design, uh, which <laughs> I, I think... I mean, you know, or does, does ARC have a, does ARC have a, a native token as well? It does. Mm. Yep. For yeah. fees or for? For governance and future cash flows. Dope. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Love that. That's a good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is the class. That's yes. the way. That's the classic. Exactly. Like, classic <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's good. Cash is coming, yeah. but it's just someday in the future. Of course. It's like the Uniswap. Right. We have this switch that we can turn on if you all decide. <laughs> <laughs> it's there. Yeah. It's there. Yeah, that's right. Can't be oh, us. Oh my God. Um, yeah, I think like that that's that's cool. I mean, yeah, I, I I love that. I think like, you know, the the future of of um the economy as a barter system makes a ton of sense to me. And also of of like you know using token economics in a way that's really robust to create foundational um, financial systems that uh, that provide both security and and liquidity and access to um, you know anybody who who has both the knowledge which is honestly mm -hmm. the hardest thing but then the internet connection which is more people have internet than running water is a is mm -hmm. a quote that I love to like take from. Uh, uh, pump or uh, uh, was it? Oh pump, no! Pump. I don't think it was pump. Actually, it was a. Uh, it was another Bitcoiner. He he gave a talk at IDEO. Um, but it yeah. was it was a really great it was a really great talk. But um. Well, I think uh, yeah. I mean, oh, just... An Antonopoulos. Antonopoulos. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Well, I I, I mean, yeah. I, I I come back to kind of lessons of history, and I think 
you know, hundreds of years back, we had like the, the joint stock moment, which created this huge, you know, explosion of entrepreneurship. And I think that's what's happening in DeFi at the moment. And that's why, I mean, that's why we've chosen to focus on a capital market so that we can really support the, the builders of the future uh, mm. because, you know, this is just a more efficient way to do it. Uh, it's more global, um, you know, it, it's 10x better than what came before. So they're obviously going to be there. So we want to be there to help help them support building their vision. Absolutely. Yeah. It's such an exciting time. And I'm like so excited for the next decade. Like it's yeah. just going to be fun. <laughs> it's it's going to be a crazy decade. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 Agreed. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, hey, yeah, thanks for thanks for jumping in on this, guys. I, I really appreciate it. Taking some time out of your your Saturday morning, my Friday evening, and uh, you know, looking forward to the next to the next time. Yeah, thank you, Jay. Pleasure. <laughs> thanks, JD. Thanks, Cameron. If you want to explore more and deepen your understanding of cryptocurrency concepts and mechanisms available today please visit our Gitbook or Crypto Encyclopedia. You can find it on our website at squareone.tech. Thanks for listening.